Hi, and welcome to the Trailside Channel. We are so glad you're joining us. God has a place and a purpose for you, and we hope this message helps you find that and know how much He loves you. Thanks for stopping by and enjoy the message. So the story goes that a uh, girl was going to college for the first time. She walks into her new class. She's talking with her classmates, and uh, her professor walks in. The professor is an unavowed atheist, and she's talking about how good God is in the Bible. And the, the professor looks at her and says, do you really, you really believe all that stuff in the Bible? And she says, yeah. He goes, come on. Like Jonah and the whale, for instance, you, you honestly believe that there was a prophet who like didn't do what God wanted, so then he gets swallowed by a whale and spit up on a beach, and then he goes into Nineveh and everybody gets saved. And she said, yeah, yeah, I believe it. It's in the Bible. So yeah, I'm, I believe it. And the professor looks at her and goes, now how in the world could that happen? How can that be real? And the young girl responds, well, I, I don't know, but I, I guess... When I get to heaven, I'll, I'll be sure to ask Jonah. And the professor, thinking he's caught her in a trap, says, well, what if he's not there? And she looked at him and said, well, then you can ask him. <laughs> and that's the fun of talking about hell and, just, and uh, judgment today, which is what we're going to do. So before we get into that, let me pray, and we'll get started. We're going to be starting in Matthew 25 this morning. we got a few verses here and there we'll dive into. If you have our app on the phone, you can click Notes, and then Sermon Notes will be there. If you don't have the app, you should get it. It's very easy, um, and all of our Sermon Notes are there. You can even, at the end of that, send it to your email and print it from your phone, which is kind of cool as well. Um, there's little spaces for you to take notes and things like that. So but let me pray, and we'll get into it. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your church. God, I, I pray that as we walk through some heavy scriptures, some, some hard thoughts to, to contemplate and to consider, that you uh, would be with us, that your Holy Spirit would bring us comfort and peace, um, but also joy and um, confidence in knowing that you've not given up on us and that you never will. So, Father, as we go through this, uh, I pray that you would help us to have our hearts examined. I pray that you would help us to uh, seek what it is that is in us that needs to be removed from us and that our doubt and fear and anxiety or, or anger or maybe whatever, whatever it is that gets in the way would be removed from us. And as it's removed, that we would be thankful. Help us to love your word, not just to know it. In your name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. So yeah, obviously that, that's a joke, you know, and there's a new reality that we're going to talk about here. But um, I think that that's probably not too far off from some conversations that might happen. And now that college is back in session, maybe some of you guys have the opportunity to uh, be a little nicer, I hope, college students than that. Uh, maybe not so abrasive. But um, as we go through this, this series, and we're actually finishing it up in just two weeks called Doubt Your Doubt, one of the things we didn't want to do was to steer away from things that are, um, I don't know, uncomfortable, for instance, right? Like, we've kind of put a feather in our cap as a church that isn't too scared to talk about things that maybe people wouldn't want to hear. Um, I think we've addressed a lot, of those, a lot of those big moments. And one thing we haven't really talked about is hell, is judgment, is the reality of what this whole thing is about. And so my hope is that you'll hear the fullness of what I have to say, so that let's not just shut down halfway through, right? Um, and that you'll ask questions, like, if, if we say anything throughout any series that we can't provide a proper understanding of and purpose of, then we shouldn't say it, right? We shouldn't believe it. And so if you have questions, if you have thoughts, come talk. I'd I love to walk through that with you. But <clears throat> as we've, excuse me, <clears throat> 
as we've talked about in this whole series, what we always want to start out with is a burden of proof, some assumptions, some things so that we have a very level, even playing field and that you guys know exactly what it is uh, that we're trying to say. So here's, here's what we think most people probably believe, that, that hell is necessary, um, that no one wants to go there, but some bad people probably really deserve it, right? It's a, those are fair assumptions, um, in fact, Romans 3 kind of says it this way. Paul, you know, who always, if you've read Paul's word, um, is very kind, <laughs> not straightforward at all. Um, this is what he says about us as people and talking about deserving things. He says um, in Romans 3, verse 10 through 12, excuse me. He says, no one is righteous. No, not even one. No one understands and no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And this is what, like, this kind of, whew. He says their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps or snakes is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's church today, guys. Have a great day. Really want to encourage you before we go. Yeah, uh, not, not so uplifting, right? Not, not incredibly encouraging. And that is what Paul would say is, is the nature of the human heart apart from Jesus, that there's no one who is good, that we are swift to anger and to cause bloodshed and to say things about people and to have venom on our lips. Uh, and listen, if, if you don't know that's true, invite me to your friend group. I just, I just want to be around your guys. That's pretty much it. Because all of us, all of us suffer with some of that, right? And maybe you're not going around causing bloodshed, which I think is a good idea, all right, to not do that. Um, did I say that clear enough? I think I almost said everyone should go cause bloodshed. Don't cause bloodshed, okay? But, but I think some of us probably do struggle with, like, being quick into drama or to say horrible things about each other instead of offering grace and mercy. So what Paul's saying here is leveling the playing field. He's not saying we're terrible people. He's saying, like, the reality is we are all on the same plane, and that is that we are broken. And, and as, as I've grown up and as I've kind of, I don't know, walked in Christendom and in ministry, I've seen a lot of that. You even see it when people use that as an insult. They say things like, oh, well, I hope they burn in hell. As a way of saying, like, they're a terrible person and I don't like them, we allow people to go to that extreme and we, we cast this damnation on them. And the, the reality for a lot of people when they hear that is kind of like, <laughs> yeah, okay. But when we hear that, and if we understand what judgment looks like, the reality from when we hear that should not be one of kind of, okay, it should be, oh, my gosh, do you understand the weight of what you're saying? That it should, it should be hard to hear those words. It should be tough. And pardon me, I'm going to use a lot of water today because I did a lot of yelling this week because our softball team went 1-0. Holler. So I apologize. <clears throat> but but it's, it's used as this, this insult that we hear. And what I kind of want to do for us today is I want to kind of flip it on its head a little bit as we walk in a very vulnerable place and and say it's not that other people deserve hell, it's that we um, all do. And I know you probably didn't come to church expecting to hear something that heavy, but we'll have a really fun week next week, I promise. And it'll be fun later. 
here in a little while. But, but I think when we announce ourselves as humanity and the things that we've done, what we deserve is probably nothing. In fact, I think Scripture is pretty clear about that. And that doesn't make it easy. I hope you don't come here and are expecting to hear easy. What I want you to understand and come out of here every week is challenged and convicted that we need to be more like Jesus. And so um, talking about things like hell and eternity aren't easy, but they're things that we have to talk about. They're things that we, uh, I as your pastor, would be doing you a disservice if I did not talk these things through and explain them and walk them with you. But it's not easy. In fact, one of my favorite theologians ever, his name is C.S. Lewis. I think I quoted him last week, too. If you don't know C.S. Lewis, you should. Um, I've got a lot of his books, and you can borrow any of them. But I, I just I think he's one of the most brilliant people in the world um, that ever lived. But this is what he says about hell and judgment. He said, there is no doctrine which I would more willingly remove from Christianity than this if it lay in my power. But it has the full support of Scripture and specifically of our Lord's own words. It has always been held by Christendom, and it has the support of reason. And this is like, if a game is played, it must be possible to lose it. That gives me chills, but I don't know if they're good or bad. You know what I mean? You ever get that moment? You're like, I don't know how this feels. I just know that I have bumps all over my arms. C.S. Lewis who is smarter than anyone I've probably ever met, save my mom, says, if there was one thing I could remove from Christendom, it would be this, because it is hard. Uh, If there was one thing I wish that I could do as a pastor is I wish I could remove any penalty from sin for any person. Like the idea that like if God was good, he would let everybody in. I, I'm, I, I'm with you. I, I wish I could be someone who says that's a true statement and makes it a true statement. I, I want nothing more than that. But as C.S. Lewis says, if a game is played, it must be possible to lose it. And so our assumptions, our burden of proof today as we get ready to walk into Matthew 25 is this, that one, there is a reason for eternity. Two, our assumption is that eternity exists in the forms of heaven and hell. The third one's pretty straightforward. I don't think anyone will argue with me. Heaven is just as good as hell is bad. All right? This is my favorite assumption because you see people who like walk in, they're all mad and dressed up like, oh, hail Satan. Right? And I'm going, bro, that guy, if he saw you, would rip you piece to piece and you would cry the entire time. Like, you're not as tough as your fedora wants you to be. Okay, that was kind of mean. I know. I'm sorry. But if we can't have fun in church, guys, what are we doing, right? Right? Can we laugh a little bit? Is that okay? We can have fun here, right? Okay, good. Because if we can't, oh, man, I'm in trouble. And then the fourth assumption is this, that every person has an eternity. So what I want to do is I want to read out of Matthew 25. This is the words of Jesus, not the words of Sean. So please don't hear the words of Sean. I'm going to literally read what Jesus says, okay? I was going to do it in uh, Greek just to mess you guys up, but I don't speak Greek. So this is what Jesus says in uh, verse 31 through 46. It's a little bit of reading, but stay with me. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food. 
I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when do we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king, I love that, not Jesus, and the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then those he will say, or then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. And these will go away into into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So what I want to do, I want to break a little bit of that down as we walk through this today. I'm going to say this and I... Uh, You just need to know it is what it is. When I read that scripture, it breaks me. And not because I'm super holy and not because like I pray a lot and I'm a pastor. So I'm supposed to feel more emotions than you when I read the Bible. It's not, not all. None of that's true. All right. Here's why it breaks me. Because we would rather politicize the gospel than to care for people. We are allowing the world to politicize the gospel rather than to do what it says. And I'm not saying that I'm not making a political stance. I'm not saying we need to rush to border. I'm not saying all those things. But what I am saying is that Jesus looks at the people and he separates them. And he said, here's a crowd of people who did. Here's a crowd of people who didn't. And guys, neither one of them knew they were on the other side. And it breaks my heart because we are running. I say it all the time because I mean it. We are running to politics and idols who sit on earthly thrones and allowing them to think that they are Jesus and the gospel. And we're putting everything we have into them instead of into the kingdom of God. And it should break our hearts. I'm not talking about CNN versus Fox. I don't care about any of that. I would encourage you, honestly, don't watch any of it. It's all garbage. All they want to do is mess with you anyways. But what I would tell you is the call of the gospel is to clothe those who are naked, to feed those who are hungry, to visit those who are in prison, and to care for those who are sick. That is the goal of the gospel, and that is an action that shows the heart of a believer. Hear that again. An action that shows the heart of a believer. It's incredibly important. Jesus is speaking culturally here because that's what he does. If you ever have anyone who opens the Bible and says, here's what Jesus is saying to America, I want you to caution them and tell them they should stop immediately. Because that might be a surprise, but Jesus actually was not speaking to America in this part of Scripture here. Okay, some of us are still with me. Others have just shut me off. Like he's a, I don't know what he is, a something. No. Jesus is not talking to America. He's talking to a bunch of people who live on hills and have farm animals like Josh Bradford. And, um, 
And he's saying that there, there are sheep and there are goats. And the reason that he says sheep are good is because they were raised in greater numbers. They were easier to care for. They were loving. They followed. They were much more obedient. If you've ever tried to wrangle a sheep versus a goat, I don't know, have you? Goats are not that easy, correct? They're kind of dumb. And they're stubborn. And so, so what Jesus is actually saying is he's, when he says the sheep, he's saying people that are easy to lead. He's not the ones who are ornery and are going to fight you and bite you the whole time. I don't like to hang out with goats. That's one of the reasons. Also because they scare me. <laughs> but culturally, sheep were much more amicable than goats. And so people would raise sheep. They were easier to have. They didn't do as much. But they were easier. In fact, at night, what shepherds would have to do is they'd have to separate them because the sheep would be nice to each other and the goats would be mean to each other. And if you put them in the same place, they just knock each other out and then you're out a few sheep and probably a goat or two. And so when Jesus is showing separation here, he's, he's literally saying, like, here are the obedient and here are the ornery. And, and even, even by the moment of right to left, culturally, People to the right who sat at the right hand were at the seat of honor. But as he says, as he walks through these two groups of people, he says, when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you fed me. And it's really interesting because what he's not saying is he's not saying that your actions and the way that you love people, the things that you do, cause you to be in one of the two clubs. I just want to be very clear about that, okay? Because notice the people didn't even know what they were doing. The issue was not the action. The issue was the heart. That's what Jesus is saying. The heart causes you to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to visit the one in prison, to be with the sick. It's the heart, not the action. If the action is what got us to heaven, if, if God's measure of redemption was what got us to heaven, it would be Oprah and, and Ellen DeGeneres, and we would follow them to the end because they have lots of money and they do lots of great things for people. And we would discount the children and the widows who throw their two mites in and the people who are giving everything they have in foreign countries trying to tell people about who Jesus is. We would say those people are not redeemed, but it's the ones who give lots of things and have Shutterfly give $10,000 checks to people who deserve it. That would be our measure of redemption. But that's not what Jesus says, church. He says... It's the heart that precedes the action, and that's how I knew you were mine. Because notice the people who are on the left said, well, when did we miss that? When did we not clothe you? When did we not love you? When did we not care for people? And he says, listen, it's the heart. Because the least of these, the people who were forgotten are the ones you've forgotten. If you forget them, that shows me that you don't actually know and love me anyways. See, church, actions are not the cause of salvation. They're indicative of one who knows Jesus. Feeding and clothing, etc., is an overflow of heart. It's, it's not an elixir for spiritual sickness. The, the answer to depravity is not just to go do nice things and you'll be like, yay, I love Jesus more now. The answer is to love Jesus first and watch what he does with you. Allow the Holy Spirit to guide you and move you and live in you and change you and walk with you and in front of you and cause you to do things that other people will look at you and be like, whoa, what are you thinking? Like, I don't know, man. 
I just am supposed to go do that. I have this friend, his name is David Christmas. I've talked about him before if you've been with us for a long time. And he is insane for Jesus. Also insane. But I've, I've knew him for a long time in Charleston. He would do things. And I would look at him and be like, David, what were you thinking? And he's like, I don't know, man. God just told me to go talk to that homeless guy. Or like, oh, that gangster, those two guys walking, like who have guns drawn. Like I just went, I was supposed to go hang out with those guys for a night overnight in the middle of downtown Charleston. I'm like, bro, those are drug dealers in the middle of the night on a Tuesday. Like, good things don't happen at 3 a.m. on America Street downtown. You know what he would tell me? He'd be like, yeah, I know, but you know what? So, like, I saw these guys do a drug deal, and, like, one guy pulled a gun out. I went over to him, and then I told him about Jesus, and, like, he's right. He, look, he just walked into church, and I'm going, what? I'm like, that dude just got a gangster to come to church. He was doing drug deals. But that's what happens when, when we follow Jesus and we care for the least of these. We do things that don't make sense. Now, don't go hang out with drug dealers, okay? Not saying that. Or maybe I am. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. <laughs> but for people to go visit friends and relatives and others in prison back in this time, in this culture, it would have been incredibly costly. It would have been on par with something as crazy as that, church. See, it's not... Going in and checking in, there's a big piece of glass between you. They come in, there's a phone, and, you know, you get to hang out with people for a few minutes. When you would actually go to prison in this cultural time, it was, number one, you were going to a place that everybody knew that your blood and lineage was, had done something terrible and was in prison, and therefore you walking into prison was dishonoring to you and your family. Step one. Step one. So just the heart of being willing to sacrifice yourself, of walking into a prison to visit someone you love, told everybody in the culture and out there that something was wrong with you and that you were probably cursed or that you had done something terrible and it was dishonorable to you as a person. Step one. That's before you've even done anything. And then in order to get in, your hope is that your family member is still alive because most people died in prison from malnutrition because they didn't feed them. And they didn't feed the guards really well either. And so if you came in and brought food and sustenance, typically you'd have to even bribe the guard that he would convey what you have to the prisoner that you love. And with that, healthcare wasn't a thing. Crazy thought here. And so by doing that, you also risk getting disease and sickness. Because I don't know what you know about the old town road back there, but... Um, they didn't have running water. It wasn't clean. People didn't care. And so you even going to visit prisoners could be a very costly journey. Not only would you dishonor yourself and your family, but you could die if, if the person in prison was even alive still. But both of these things reflect a one incredible big view, and that's eternal understanding and perspective of eternity, and that it matters. To those on his left, he said, depart from me into eternal punishment. The word that he actually uses there harkens back to Matthew 3 when it's talking about the wheat and the chaff and literally what farmers would do. So farmers, pay attention. They would take a winnowing fork. Well, here's what it says. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with an unquenchable fire. They would literally take it with a big pitchfork, throw it in the air, and the chaff would blow away and what was useful would stay on the floor and they would take that and put it into their barns so they could have food. And so this is a picture of eternity, Jesus says. Like They throw it in, they take the chaff, and it burns with an unquenchable fire. 
And, and this is the picture painted by Jesus here. Like, I'm sorry, I promise we will talk about rainbows and lollipops next week, okay? But we got to deal with stuff Jesus says that's hard too, and this is the picture he paints. Like, this is kind of rough for some people. But let me flip that a little bit. That in just as much as hell is bad, heaven is good. See, gospel theology doesn't make happy thoughts happier. Gospel theology takes hopeless realities and it it turns them into overwhelmingly thankful confidence and humility. We should never, church, as believers, if if you follow Jesus in this room, it should never be a point of pride for you to be better than anyone else. Ever. An understanding of true gospel theology should break your heart for every single person not in this room and all the other churches in Greenville. And if we understand eternity, we will give everything we have to that cause. Because nothing here is as valuable as eternity. And it's when those things get switched and swapped when our security and our confidence lies in what we have, that we become anxious and fearful and hurt. But it's when we understand the hope of eternity that when we are hurt and when things happen and we have no control, when death comes or disease strikes, that we have a hope that is eternal and that can't be taken away and that is the only hope we have. That no matter what happens here, you cannot be separated. And that is what people are missing. And that is what should draw us to be broken for people. In fact, I think the Apostle Paul has a great understanding of this. In Romans 9, it's one of my favorite chapters of all Scripture. And we can argue about Romans 9 later if you want to. But you're going to lose. Just kidding. This is what the Apostle Paul says. Now, listen, Paul was a Hebrew. He did everything right. He was incredibly zealous. He um, was the the Hebrew of Hebrews, as we're going to read here in a minute. And this is what Paul says, okay? Paul, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. This is the first verse of chapter 9. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. Now, interestingly enough, that's the same premise that my son used to tell me he only had one blow pop yesterday. Okay, you didn't listen. So I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. And this is what he says, that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I wish, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Listen, Paul has such a great understanding of eternity and what it actually means that he says, my heart is destroyed in my body. I wish that I could be cut off from Jesus for the sake of all these other people. Uh, that's, That's Paul's reality of eternity, guys. He's saying he would go to hell for the sake of everyone he knows and loves. That he wishes that was capable. Guys, I love y'all, but not that much. Just kidding, I shouldn't say that. But that's what Paul says. He says, I wish I could be cut off for the sake of my brothers. See, Paul understands this idea of eternal judgment and and says if he could, he would give up everything he has, all that he knows. And guys, I don't know anyone who knew Jesus as well as Jesus at that time, as, as well as Paul at that time. And he says, I wish I could be cut off if it just meant everyone else would go. 
That's, that's gospel theology. It is that big of a deal. Are you guys with me this morning? Am I just too excited? And this is what he says, but, but I can't, and it is incredibly burdensome. It hurts. I have anguish in my heart. Paul knows that he is not capable of saving anyone. In fact, Philippians 3, this is what Paul says. He's the Hebrew of Hebrews. He says, if anyone thinks they have grounds for confidence in the flesh, if anybody thinks they're really, really good, really holy, right? I went to North Greenville College. It was a college then. And I remember walking around campus, new kid. I didn't even know most of the Bible. I had only been a Christian for like a year. And there was this one guy walking around, and he, I'm not going to do it to Riley's beautiful guitar, but he took it by the neck, put it over his shoulder so that the main part of the guitar was up here and just walked around like this. Yeah, y'all know what the Greenville students are laughing because y'all seen it. <laughs> and he had Bible verses scrawled all over his guitar. He was so cool. Like girls were walking, looking at him. And I was like, man, that guy must really know Jesus. So Y'all hear the North Greenville kids laugh because they know it's true. And stop. That's what, this is what Paul's alluding to. He says, listen, if anybody has confidence in the flesh, by the way, that guy was, well, I'm going to be nice. If anyone thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the people of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, I persecuted the church. As to righteousness, under the law, faultless. You know what Paul says there? I've got the birthright. I've got the blood. I followed every rule. I'm so zealous for God that I persecuted the church because I didn't think they were holy enough. Paul says if anybody, if anybody should feel like he's holy and in charge and has no judgment against him, it's me. And then Paul says, I have anguish in my heart and I wish I was cut off for the sake of my people. Hmm. Because see, Paul, in his religious zeal, knows that he is an insufficient savior. Parents, this should resonate with you. When I read words like Paul saying, I wish I was cut off for the sake of my people, I think about my children. For me and my kids, I wish that I was cut off for the sake of my children never having to wonder. And, and I know my parents would say the same for me, right, Mom? There she is. And then my kids will say the same for their kids. See, when we hear things like this, I don't want you just to think, oh, Paul and Israel. I want you to think about your life, your children, your family. That's the anguish that he has. That's the hurt that he has. Is he says, I would be willing to give up all of this if only it meant that my children never had to wonder, never had to have a chance to not know Jesus. That's the unceasing anguish. I, cannot, I can't contemplate the pain of my children not knowing Jesus. I don't want to. I don't even like when my daughter bunks her knee. I'm like, oh, my God, are you okay? Let's go get cake, right? But our reaction to this should be that nothing should be so important as that. See, Jesus alone is the bar of salvation. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 says, For our sake he made God, made him, the Father made him, the Son, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become righteous. That's the gospel. It's not about you. It's not about if you clothe people and if you visit people. It's about that God 
made Jesus sin so you could be made righteous. That's eternity. That's the gospel. That is, that is hell and heaven. And there's nothing else. That's why our banners say Jesus plus nothing equals what? Everything. everything. Plus nothing. You bring nothing to the table. All right, here's your encouraging moment. Let's continue this trend. You bring nothing to the table. There's nothing you can do to bring to God and be like, see, look what I did. And he's like, finally, it's clicked, welcome. Doesn't work like that. In fact, Romans 9, I'm going to continue in Romans 9, just one verse. I want to offer a question that I think is why we're doing this, doubt your doubt. With all of that knowledge, with everything being understood, this is what Paul says in Romans 9, verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? You know what Paul's saying right there? So what does that mean? Is this fair? Is hell fair? Is heaven fair? That's what Paul says. That's the Sean Gata translation, but I feel like it's pretty, pretty good. So, so what? If that's, if that's the bar, then is that fair? Let's play a game. You guys like games? Yeah? There was only like one college football game, and preseason football doesn't matter, so I need some games. Let's play a game. This game's a little different. It's called Who's in Hell? All right, let's play. Let's play a game Who's in Hell. Give me the first picture. Good guy, right? MLK, pastor, preach a gospel. Probably not in hell. It's pretty fair. Next one. There he is. Yeah, we're going to say he probably is, right? Pretty terrible dude. Lost, killed people. How about the next one? That's Hitler, for those of you who don't know. Right, let's never let that mustache come back, okay? That's, I know mustaches are cool for some horrible reason, but um, yeah, Hitler probably we're going to say is in hell, yeah? And then what about this last one? Pretty famous. Mother Teresa, right? Pretty awesome lady. I got one more. One more. Go ahead and throw her up. There she is. That's awesome. Who knows who she is? Anybody? Yeah, no one. That's a stock photo. I literally typed in stock photo woman. That's what came up. There she is. We can name her as we always do. Uh, Glenda. There's Glenda. I'd like to offer you, leave that picture up for a minute. I'd like to offer you a thought that is going to come across very harsh, but I hope you hear it in love. Because as we say, if you don't walk out the door a little bit challenged, we haven't done a good job. Um, Here's the thought. You and I have just as much ability to say about the eternity of that lady, Glenda, in the stock photo as we do about all of the pictures before her. Now, I'm not saying that those people are in heaven or hell, but what I'm telling you is we have just the same amount of judgment about her as we do any of the other four people. And, and on a gospel basis... All five of those people are on the same level of, de- of deserving judgment. They all are. Like, guys, it's, this isn't Sean theology. This is Jesus theology. And if it's offensive, I, I don't apologize, but that's what it is. The, the basis for heaven and hell, you can go ahead and get that off. Take Glenda back to her home. Uh, a basis for hell and judgment comes from three characteristics. And, and where those characteristics come from are very important. And that's where we're going to wrap today. Uh, the first is this. It's, it's judgment is the first one. 
giving someone exact, someone or something exactly what they deserve. That's what judgment is. The second is mercy. Mercy is the act of not giving someone or something what they deserve. And three is grace. Giving someone or something that which they do not deserve. And so what I want to offer you in closing is this. There are two people who can be the hero of the world, of your world. The first is you. Man as the hero, you and I as the hero, as the righteous judge of eternity. This is what you and I would be if we were in full judgment. Is my reality and my truth is the bar of your worth and your value. Anybody seen that play out recently in life? Just me. Okay, awesome. Well, I'll just watch this video later by myself. Um, yeah, it's what you decide is valuable and important and what a person should be or should have is a direct reflection on that person's worth or value based on what you think. This isn't judgment, it's prejudice. That's what it is. You are prejudging. But when we are the hero and our bar is what brings people in or out, that's what happens. Or if we are fully merciful, the statement is, how kind am I to not levy my anger on you? I love the movie 300. Anybody seen that? From like, oh, It's been a long time now. That dates me a little bit for you youngins. I think that's what you're supposed to say. But, um, but Xerxes shows up. And they have this big war, and he doesn't kill Leonidas, and he holds his hands up, and he goes, I am a generous God. I'm like, ugh. How merciful are you, Xerxes? But, but when we are the heroes, that's what happens. It's like a feather in our cap of like, hey, listen, I'm not going to be angry at you. I'm not going to punch you even though you deserve it. And then when we're the hero with grace, we have a very shortened view of forgiveness, and we say, I'll forgive you this time, but don't mess up again. Because, again, we're the authority. But see, church, the gospel of hope, the only way out of judgment of the reality of what is hell is Jesus. It's not you or I. We don't set the bar. If you've set the bar in your life for other people, whether they are responsible enough to attend heaven or not, I want you to repent of that and follow Jesus. And if you see me or the elders or anyone else in our church mess that up, you have, as a believer, the total right and availability to come to us and hold us to accountability in that. A hundred percent. But Jesus is the hero of the story. And so when we look at God's judgment and we say, well, if our basis of eternity is judgment, and we say God is fully in judgment only, then he would say that everyone gets what we deserve, which is hell. That's it. That's it. God has no need for us. He has a desire for us, a want for us, a relationship with us. And if God was strict judgment, then we would all get what we deserve, which is hell. If, if God is purely merciful, then he, he wouldn't give us hell. He would just not give us what it is we deserve. He would just annihilate us off the planet for all of eternity, and this would be it. Also, just as unsatisfying for us. 
but the hope and the truth of the gospel and why eternity matters and why I want you to doubt your doubt about if heaven and hell exist and if it matters is that God is fully graceful for those whom he loves. He says that many will not only not get what they deserve, but they will get that very thing that they don't. And when God sees you as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, he doesn't see someone who is broken and destroyed. He sees the righteousness that comes from Jesus. And he says, you will get what you do not deserve, which is eternity in heaven with him. That's the swinging open door that we sang about, guys. That's That's why it matters. That's why what we do matters. That's why when you give and when you serve and when you come and be a part of this and we love people who are unlovable, that's why it matters. Because God is not fully judgment. He's not fully mercy. He is fully graceful. And those things work within his grace. That he doesn't hold you accountable for what you are and what you've done. He instead doesn't hold you and then gives you. See, church, the only one who could hold you guilty doesn't. And that should be a phrase that we utter often. The only one who holds you guilty does not. That's why in 1 Corinthians, some of the best verses and why we celebrate and why we get excited about Jesus come from 1 Corinthians 15. In verse 55 and 57, this is the joy of the gospel. This is what it says. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Because when we have eternity with Jesus, he has taken the sting away because no matter what can be taken from you here cannot be taken away from you there. And that no matter what happens on this earth to you is not going to be all that happens in eternity because there is no sting left in death. It's the hope that we have. For the sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Church, that is good news. When we are the judge, we save people to our way of thinking. They might like the sports teams that we like. They might clean up and dress a certain way or say nice things. But when we watch God be the judge, he saves his creation from death and turns it into life. And he takes the sting of death away. And if you've ever lost someone, you know the sting. And now you need to know that in eternity it's gone. And it holds nothing over you. When creation is saved to eternal life, heaven comes to earth and great change happens, church. That's what we're about. We're not about building Trailside's kingdom. It's not about me being on a screen or Pastor Tyler or anyone else. I, look, I've told multiple people, there's a joke in our staff where they'll come in and do something, and Aiden is really good at this, and he'll come up and be like, I'm the senior pastor now. I'm like, great. <laughs> it's yours. Take it. Because we're not saving people to us. We're we're watching Jesus change lives, and we are vessels of ability to see and be used by him to do that. That's why everything we do matters. So two questions for you then. Sorry. Are you okay with God's grace being so big and so scandalous that someone who has done evil on earth for 99% of their life could be in heaven by God's grace? You okay with that? It's a tough question. 
in their last moment, that they could live a life of evil and be forgiven, are you okay with the fact that we should celebrate them across the table rather than condemn them for what they were on earth? Are you okay with that? And here, here's how you figure that out. One, you ask, who was actually hurt? Two, you ask, who is actually holy? And three, you remind yourself, who is the giver of said redemption? And so my final question as we close is this, church. If we understand the depth of eternity at all, the truth of heaven and hell, what is greater in our hearts? Is it our need for human judgment? Or is it an understanding of the depth of the scandalous grace of God? Because that answer makes all the difference in how we love, how we give, how we serve, how we care, when we go find people who are in the prisons, when we clothe the naked, when we feed the hungry, when we sit with the widow and the babies, it makes all the difference. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you prepared a place for us and that it will not fail. And God, I thank you for the moments when I do fail that you don't. I thank you that you are a righteous judge, that you care for your creation, and I thank you for this place that you've called us to, that we can begin to be a beacon of that light to the city. Father, empower us, convict us. Lord, help us. I just want us to be more like you. Find what is evil in me and what needs to go and replace it with your love and your goodness so that we might see people know you. And Lord, whether we stay at 18 people who have met you in our church forever, and if that means that Grace and Sky Point and First Baptist TR and Trinity met, if that means that they to see copious amounts of people come to the gospel. God, help us to celebrate that, th those things because, Father, you are the victor. But Father, we pray for that here. We pray for redemption to be found here in this place that was a place of judgment. God, when City Hall was here, where judges sat and handed down sentences and people were jailed, where, where those things happened, let this be a place of redemption and the freedom of sentencing because you, God, are in charge. Father, we love you. Help us to love you more. Help us not hold ourselves more important than we are. Thank you for everything, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. You can stand. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you were encouraged by the message and you feel closer to Christ than you ever have before. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, visit us in person, or help support our mission as we seek to love Jesus, serve others, and live unified, check us out online at trailside.church, or you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks so much for listening, and we can't wait to see you again soon.